Hello and welcome back to the latest Think Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. I chat with the founder of Dublin-based Ziklearn, Matteo Penzo, about the growing popularity of the four-day week in the working world. Matteo Penzo is the CEO of Ziklearn, a company that is planning to double its workforce in Ireland by the end of 2023 and which recently secured half a million in funding to increase and accelerate, increase its headcount and accelerate its growth. Matteo, you're very welcome. Hello, John, and also hello to all the people listening to your podcast. <laughs> so, Matteo, tell, tell us how, you, why, how and why you brought uh, Ziklearn to Dublin and, and why it's, it's expanding here. First of all, Dublin is a marvelous city. It's so beautiful to be just to be there and spending time both along the river and and you know, I love to walk to take long walks to towards the herb, harbor and and the old town and all the pubs. Oh my god, I love pubs. But <laughs> apart from the personal joy of just being there, I think that Dublin, an island in at, at large is one of the best places in Europe to build up a new venture. And and this is this is true for for many, many reasons. Number one, if you look at the the way that the government supports ventures and the legislation also for for the job laws, how it gets so much easier for entrepreneurs to build up a new organization there and hire a team there so much easier that any other place in in Europe. Hmm. Second reason is the talent pool. And not just the local one, but the attractivity that Ireland has towards people coming from all over the world. And hmm. and, and this is because all the the tech giants that have settled their European headquarters there. Hmm. For a small company like ours, you don't need to quote unquote, sell the idea of your hires to be relocating to Dublin because they're already living there. And and this is an incredible opportunity for a company like like Sickler. It's just the third one. It's um, also very, very friendly with with investors, especially if you look at where the biggest pots of money of VC money are currently in the world, which is the US and UK, investors there do not need to learn yet another corpus of laws mm -hmm. because the common law that that we have in Ireland, it's so similar to the common laws that are in UK and the, and, and the type of jurisdiction that, that people have in the US. So it's also very, very investor friendly. And, and I was going to say there, the, you, you're very uh, visible presence on the European startup entrepreneur scene. Um, I've seen you uh, pop up at various events in London and various startup accelerators. And, you know, I suppose, tell us a bit about your own journey into entrepreneurship. What was the spark that said, well, hey, I'm going to set up a business, but I'm also going to set up innovative tech businesses? I, I currently describe myself as a recovering consultant because <laughs> I, I spent... Uh, the past uh, 10 years of my life uh, working at Frog. Frog is one of the uh, largest uh, product design and strategy firms globally. It's, mm. the, it's the company that designed the Macintosh back in, in the 80s with, with Steve Jobs. Wow. It's the company that designed the experience for the Disney theme parks. And also while being there, 
I and, and, and you know I was leading the technology teams in 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 Europe and my my passion for entrepreneurship was so strong that even before joining Frog I put on paper with them contractually that I was allowed to build new ventures on the side obviously as long as they were not competing with with Frog itself so mm. I uh, founded two companies while I was at at Frog one, it's Talent Garden. We also have a campus in, in Dublin at the, at the university. Talent Garden uh, was born as one of the major co-working campuses in, in Europe, and it's now one of the most important uh, ad tech uh, scale-ups we have mm. in, in Europe. And uh, Frontiers Conference is the, the other venture I founded back in 2010, mm. dropped to become one of the most preeminent uh, conferences in Europe. Our main product today is called Frontiers Health, which is a um, conference entirely focused on digital healthcare. So this is to say, and obviously I, I, I exited my shares in Talent Garden. I'm in the process of selling Frontiers, but to focus on, on Ziegler, but this is to say that I have, I feel the physical need of transforming ideas into products or services to bring to the market. It's, I would describe it as an urge <laughs> to, to build something. And I, and to me, the best way to build something is to create a, a, a company around it and then bring the product to market. And that's the thing. I mean, a lot of people are attracted to entrepreneurship. It's gone from being, uh, you know, a term that was, you know, Pre pre dot com world, it wasn't exactly um, a celebrated term, and then suddenly, well, suddenly in the last twenty years, it's sexy to be an entrepreneur. It's 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 fashionable, you know. We're all inspired by the, the stories of Zuckerberg and all those. Um, but at the same time, you you notice and I notice is that entrepreneurship isn't easy, and not everybody succeeds at it. And um, you know, often people don't talk enough about even the challenge of entrepreneurship from the point of view of sometimes it's quite a lonely journey for some entrepreneurs and it takes time for your idea to be born or even to take hold. Uh, it requires a lot of patience and resilience, I imagine. And from the point of view of being able to kind of hold a job and at the same time start two successful companies, that's quite a feat. What do you think is the skill that's involved in that? And would you say entrepreneurship is for everybody? Uh, I don't think it's for everybody. I, I think it's uh, it's a tough job. Mm. Uh, it's useful to know it from from the very beginning. And absolutely, I think I, I think you 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 touched an open nerve uh, about entrepreneurship, which is the loneliness. Mm. Even even when you have even when you have a large scale team as an entrepreneur, it's you're guided by your vision. Mm. And you need to be sure that you're sleeping, eating, and drinking this vision and working constantly to bring this vision to execution. And, and that's why I believe, for at least me personally, it's of the fundamental importance of being surrounded by co-founders I can rely upon. Because mm -hmm. everybody of us will have highs and lows. So it's good when you are in, in your lower moment, you have somebody on your side that can uh, help you, support you, and guide you mm. further. 
The other skill that I believe it's of the fundamental importance is is the ability of constantly giving 200% of yourself to your enterprise. I, I, I'm not saying I don't believe to the fact that an entrepreneur is, is somebody that doesn't sleep, doesn't eat, doesn't travel, doesn't have any fun because there's only the only the enterprise to for him to or her to be focused upon but at least for myself even though when i'm parting even even when i'm even when i'm parting even when i'm traveling my constant the constant focal point of my thoughts it's always my product it's always my client it's always my team mm-hmm. um i don't think i mean i never even when i when i was uh, working for other enterprises, I never thought of myself having the obligation of working. I had, I had the four. I, I was so lucky that I always were involved in in jobs that I deeply loved. So I was kind of feeling, hey, I'm having so much fun, and they're also paying me for having the, all this fun. <laughs> this is so cool, and it's not really different as an entrepreneur. I mean, if you do it for the money, probably you've made the wrong decision. There are so much better options for you on the market. Um, the reason I build ventures is, as I said before, I have the physical need of bringing my ideas to reality. Very good. And and I suppose then let's talk about Zick Learn. I mean, the, the my understanding, text-based micro-learning um, to me, that's, uh, you know, the idea, I think, is that revolutionize the training process for companies and their staff. And that kind of that kind of touches on an interesting nerve for me is that most of us in businesses these days are expected to constantly keep our skills fresh, keep up with regulation. Um, some of us in certain jobs have mandatory training. Uh, some people treat it like a chore. Other people see it as an opportunity to leverage uh, those opportunities to learn and grow. Um, often it's a battle of time. <laughs> so you're you're busy delivering for what you're expected to do then you have to kind of make time and often I think when people do give time to learning it often becomes a kind of a, an extracurricular thing so they'll, they'll put an extra hour or two in after work or they'll go to night classes or whatever um, but instead you know learning as you go is probably, probably a wiser way to do it is that is that the problem that Zik Learn hopes to solve? Um, if you if you look at the market today um and, and what we do at Learn is that we focus on learning for large to very large scale corporations. And if you look at that specific market, standard learning, it's failing almost everywhere. Mm. 95% of the trainings uh, that people should be, um, should be having in, in large scale corporations are just simply not happening either because people are decided not to do the training or because even when they decide to do the training, they transform it into what we call skip factories. I think, you know, when you, when you start the training and then you start pressing next, 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 just to get to the very end of the training so that your HR is happy because the training has been done, mm. but you learned nothing. And if you if you if you think as you were saying you know upskilling reskilling um are all big and important rights for employees then having employees learning becomes 
kind of mandatory obligation for employers. But employers today are just training their employees, are not making them learn. Mm. So there's something broken in in the market, and it's broken for both sides of the table. Uh, there's an, a nice joke on, on the internet that goes with something like, uh, the CFO asked the CEO, why should we be spending the money to train our employees? What if we train them and then they leave? And then the CEO answers, well, what if we don't train them and they stay, right? So it's incredibly important for for the people working in organizations to learn, mm -hmm. but especially right after the pandemic, uh, our entire lifestyle has has changed and what was acceptable before covid it's not acceptable by the employees anymore i mean if you could have thought of designing your entire lifestyle around the training moment and simply put think about when i when you're when you are an employee and you need to perform a standard training, standard e-learning training, what you do, you block your agenda so that you are kind of securing and protecting, protecting that moment that you need to focus on your computer at your desk just to be trained. Mm. But that's not how we want to live anymore. We are expecting to be able to work from anywhere in any moment. And why training should be should be different? Why training shouldn't be able to adapt to our own lifestyle instead of doing exactly the opposite. And that's that's what, what we're trying to do with, with Ziegler. With, because since we're delivering micro-trainings to the major corporate chat clients we have on the market, mm. namely WhatsApp, Microsoft Teams, Slack, uh, WebEx, in that way, we're delivering trainings right in the pockets of the employees and right in their flow of work. So mm. I don't need to block my agenda because I need to perform a training. Uh, a micro-training on ZikLearn lasts mere minutes. When we, when we performed our tests in controlled environment, the maximum time to close a, a lesson, to finish a lesson, was less than three minutes with an average Wow. of a minute and a half and everybody of us has mm. this you know pockets of free time multiple multiple times throughout our day so that's how we're trying to revert the equation it's not the train not us saving time to to do the training but it's the training being available in our pockets for when we have time for it and how is um, you know Ziklearn doing in terms of uh, manifesting this this way of learning into the workplace? Did a lot of foundational research. Uh, mm -hmm. We partnered with the University of Berkeley in California with the Learning Science Department of the University of Berkeley, and we worked together with that team in order to understand what's the best approach, not just to reduce time that people spend learning, but also to increase efficiency. Because at the end of the day, you want your employees to learn. That's mm -hmm. That should be your objective as an yeah. HR manager. And, 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 you or want, a, a, yeah, and you want the information to stay as well, because you know if people are sitting in a, in a mandatory training or you know, standard are hitting next, 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 or just downloading a transcript and answering questions at the end of it, you know, you question yourself, does, is this information sticking? 
Is is it sticking there in their minds? So what what we discovered is, for example, I mean, obviously we we came out with a lot of rules that, and and then we used these rules to build the the software mm. uh, that delivers and manages the training. But one of the rules, for example, is that not only the lesson should be short, and that's how micro learning works, and focusing just on the most important stuff that you need to to learn to memorize, but also that you need to deliver this lesson. Um, consequently, so you need to have a flow, mm. and the best uh, delta of time between two lessons is 24 hours, because 24 hours still keeps the pace, so you're not forgetting. Oh my God, yes, I was in a training last week, and now I have the the new lesson, uh, and also gives your brain the time to memorize the content. Uh, think about when you uh, when you train at the gym. It's mm. not that you hit the gym, uh, you get your weights, and you start doing repetitions for one hour straight, and then you go back home. It's it doesn't work like that. You do some amount of repetition, then you pause, and you go ahead with another round of repetition. And that pause, it's incredibly important for your muscles to accept this, the the effort and grow bigger. And that's exactly how our brain works. If you, mm-hmm. if you f- flood the brain with content, some of that content might be memor- memorized, but at the end of the day, you're going to forget content pretty soon. Mm-hmm. What we're doing is that we're using, yes, micro-learning, but also spaced learning to increase the durability of that content in the employee's memory. Very good. I, I have to say, I, I like the concept and I hope it does become a, a de facto way of learning in, in our lives, in our working lives. Um, can I just ask you about your thoughts on the European startup scene from the point of view of like pre-pandemic, it was heating up, it was getting very busy and you were getting some great valuations and unicorns coming out of Europe. Uh, post-pandemic, we we've been kind of seeing um you know a lot of the funding in the US slow down and supports or funding available uh disappearing a bit in Ireland uh, it's been revealed just how you know how much of a dirt there has been in seed funding for example um from the point of view of a company that just recently raised funding and as as an entrepreneur who's had to go to market to raise funding what are your thoughts on the European startup scene? Will we see more unicorns emerge out of Europe? Has the pandemic kind of put a break on things? Uh, we're touching a lot of points here. From mm-hmm. the point of money availability, I think there's still a lot of money. It's mm-hmm. just changed the way that the VC deploy this money to the market. It, and my perspective is that it became much, much healthier because it's not evaluating just the growth per se, but it's evaluating the business growth. So it's it's pretty easy for a B2B startup like ours to to get hundreds of thousands of users super quickly. Hmm. You just don't need to you, you just need to to have your clients not paying you. But that's not growth. That's I don't know, I call it DB growth. So your DB scale up, but your wallet remains the same. What VCs are looking for now is to a healthy increase in the flow of money towards organizations. In terms of, of early stage startups, although 
I don't think that's still a problem. I, I, I think in this case, we're still untouched from the uh, su supposedly drying out of, of funds deploying money to, to the market. Because, the, you know, we, we just raised our, uh, our pre-seed round. I, I spoke with a lot of investors and a lot of business angels and the most important thing for them was obviously they were investing in an idea, but the most important things for, thing for them was to have a healthy founding team. That's what they were evaluating. They were evaluating the team, not necessarily the product and definitely not the business because it's, it's too early. One of the, uh, one of the conversations I, I frequently have with some of our some of the funds managers that have invested in us is that they laugh at me or we laugh together because when they asked for our financial plan i never shared that financial plan and i told them you can ask me questions obviously i have a financial plan i have a business plan that drives us and drives my decisions but i don't think it's a document i need to share because at this stage it's a pure work of fantasy. I can I can play the numbers to to have them appear what I want. It's too early to to use the financial plan as a decision making tool. It will be becoming important in in, in at later stages at, at the seed round at the, when we will be raising the the A round. But for now, I think you should be looking at our vision as a team and our capability in delivering a successful product. And that was also for me, a kind of filter, a way to filter out uh, investors that could have been problematic in the future. Because mm. if an invest, I mean, when you invest VC money, your target for returns, I think should be at least six years in the future. And mm. if you are too keen in looking at into the financial dynamics in the short term or super short term, that's not going to be an investor I want. I'm willing to work with because you need to you need to have the right um, space to to grow and think and de execute your vision, I suppose. And then when when the yeah, I, I think hold. I think the pressure should be on exactly. I think the pressure should be on the growth, not mm. on the returns, not on the immediate returns. Yeah. Um, then going back to your question about the European scene, I still see a big big gap between what happens. And in the U.S. and especially in in Silicon Valley, in California, I think even there, I mean, there's a big delta between California and the rest of the U.S. Mm. and what happens in Europe. Um, the the big difference is not the availability of money. I'm speaking with a lot of investors and funds from the U.S. which are interested in, in investing in us. Um, I think the big difference is the people you're surrounding yourself with. And it's so much more frequent in the U.S. to be surrounded with like-minded human beings that are either inspiring you or giving you network opportunities or introducing you to people that might deem to be super important for your organization. They could be employees or co-founders or investors or potential client. Then what happens in Europe where it's, you know, we're still a society built 
in the Middle Ages, and uh, we we always I always say that uh, Italy, I'm Italian. It's the it's the country of the one thousand tower bells, church bells for uh, per town, right? And everybody <laughs> wants to protect its own, and it's so much more difficult to to network here, especially mm-hmm. for young entrepreneurs. And that's the thing. I mean, I suppose in conclusion, um, you know, even the fact that you've raised money and you're investing across Europe, you establish an operation in Dublin, you plan to double your headcount. It, it, it takes a bigger kind of thinking, doesn't it? I I think that the only way to do proper enterprise in Europe is, is to think global. The very mm-hmm. moment you you project your enterprise to be a local enterprise, you're failing. You're failing from day zero. Yeah. Uh, it's okay to act locally, especially at the beginning. For example, uh, we started uh, with a focus on the Irish market, and then we expanded it as we were growing to include UK too. But we never thought of being an Irish company. Mm. And I, as as an Italian, even my my previous companies were never built to be Italian companies doing business in Italy. We are. European companies doing business globally. Brilliant. And with that, Matteo, thank you so much for your time. That was really great, really insightful. And uh, I look forward to seeing the format of, of micro learning expand and, and, and reach my life soon because I, <laughs> I prefer it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks, John. And remember, learning is just one text away. <laughs> <laughs>